Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we want to pause to acknowledge your supremacy over our lives, supremacy in everything that goes on around us. We thank you we have a God who is in control, but a God who is also loving and caring, a God who is merciful and kind. I pray, Lord, you would help us to realize that as things go on around us that we don't understand, things we don't approve of, yet we have a God who who knows all about it and is able to make all things work together for good in ways that we don't yet understand. Bless our study in the Word tonight. May it lift up and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Hebrews and the 10th chapter. And while you're turning there, um, I'll start by saying this. It's just a very short time from now. Uh, summer will officially be here. And when that happens, all of the summertime jobs become due. You need to work on your lawnmower and get that working, get the blade sharpened. You need to um, remove the cover from your backyard pool if you are so blessed to have such a thing. You need to get out there and trim the bushes and all the things that go along with summertime activities. But maybe you're going to plant a garden. I don't know how many people still plant gardens. Um, We tried it for a while and then realized that the per hour um, income didn't make it profitable. Not for us. Now, if you like to garden and if that's something that gives you great pleasure, I'm happy for you. We'll take a few cents and go to Roots and buy a can of beans if we need a can of beans. (laughs) All right. But, of course... The garden is really fun in the late summer and fall when all of the vegetables are ready for harvesting. My message from Hebrews chapter 10 is entitled Christian Exhortation. Now, you may recall that Robert Louis Stevenson composed a little book for children called A Child's Garden of Verses. Anybody remember that little book? Oh, how I love to go up in the swing, up in the air so blue. Oh, I did think it the pleasantest thing ever, and so forth. Anybody know that little book of Child's Garden of Verses? It's probably worth a mint if you can get one of the original copies of it. But anyway, um, A Child's Garden of Verses. Uh, Tonight, I'm taking our text from God's Garden of Verses, and I think you'll see the sense of this in just a little bit. But our text is in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 22 through 25. We read, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. There you have it. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us consider one another. Since we're spending time in God's garden of verses, I've given a subtitle to my message. It's called Harvesting Lettuce. The, sub, the subtitle uh, may intimate there, there might be a little corn in the garden. But if you will, please give me your attention for the next few moments. 
If you care at all what I have to say, you'll squash the distractions, you'll turn up the volume. In my opinion, you'll become a better human being with a much cherry disposition as a result of our trip to God's garden. I suspect that my face is a bit reddish right now, <laughs> like a beet. So now I am going to set aside this pepper and get very busy for a few moments. So let us consider the first harvest of lettuce from God's garden of verses. First, the writer of Hebrews exhorts the readers with the words, Let us draw near. And in order to stand these let us verses, we need to understand the context. The requirements of the Old Testament law in order to be right with God were very cumbersome. They were very repetitious. And in the end, they were very ineffective because they did not accomplish what ultimately needed to be done. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 1, it says that these repetitious, continuous sacrifices could never perfect the worshiper. In other words, these offerings did not do what they needed to have done. The animal offerings rendered a sinner still a sinner. Have you ever given much consideration to the encumbrance and the duty and the repetition of the Old Testament sacrifices and the Old Testament law. Under the law, a person's sins were remembered over and over and over again every time he made the required offerings for his sin. Not only that, but consider the cost of those offerings. Consider the time and the inconvenience having to make those offerings. But in order to be right with God, they had to be made as often as necessary. And being a perpetual sinner, there was a perpetual need to go to the priest yet another time with another animal sacrifice for yet another range of sins that you committed since the last sacrifice. In verse 4, or, yeah, verse 4 of this chapter, we read this. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. I wonder if we can even understand the burden of the law. But in contrast to that, I wonder if we really appreciate the freedom that we have under grace. Think about what Jesus has done for us. In this 10th chapter of Hebrew, verse 12 says this, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering makes us perfect before God. In verse 1, we read, The law can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The law could not do what needed to be done. The law could not take away our sins forever. But this man, referring to Jesus Christ, for one by one sacrifice, perfected us and sat down at the right hand of God. 
Do you remember under the Old Testament who alone was able to draw near to God under the law? Only the high priest could do that, and only once per year, and only with the right qualifications, and only with the perfect sacrifice, one for his own sins, and one for the sins of the nation of Israel. It was a frightful experience to go past the temple veil into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But here, in this chapter of Hebrews, in verse 22, we are encouraged. Let us draw near into the very presence of God, because our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. One sacrifice made by Jesus for us forever has cleansed us from the inside and outside, through and through, by one sacrifice. Therefore, we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find, uh, obtain mercy and find grace there to help in time of need. The creator, the sovereign of the universe, the ruler of the universe, says, come in, draw near, get close. I want to be with you. I want to have fellowship with you. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Mercy there is great, and grace is free. Pardon there is multiplied to me. There, our burdened souls find liberty at Calvary. Let's move now to the second harvest of lettuce. (laughs) Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Do you ever wonder if you are still saved? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or any such thing, but do you ever wonder if you're still saved? Now, um, I know that's a rather bold question, because in this church, and according to our doctrine, we believe that once a person is saved, he is always saved. That's our doctrine, and we do believe that it is biblical. But I ask the question again, (laughs) do you ever wonder if you're still saved? Sometimes the truth of eternal security is an idea that has to mature in a new Christian. I responded to an invitation when I was very, very young. Later, I was unsure, so I walked the aisle again and again and again. I was in my third year of college when I heard yet another invitation to salvation, but this time I did not respond because I believe that the Holy Spirit gave me a new understanding of the meaning of eternal life. I have since come to better understand the significance of this verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. A new Christian may often waver and be unsure of many biblical truths. But the wonder and the freedom and the joy of our salvation is found in the second part of verse 23. He, 
He is faithful, that promise. He is faithful. I may not be faithful. You may not always be faithful, but he is faithful. And to us, for us, he has many, uh, he has made many irrevocable promises. And I'm going to read some sections of scripture, verses that you know well, I'm sure. But I, I bring them to your attention because because he is faithful. And if ever you wonder, am I still saved? Or did I really get saved when I, when I said the sinner's prayer? Uh, these verses are promises that, that I think we need to be reminded of from time to time. For one thing, John says, First John, he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, by his sacrifice, he has satisfied all of the righteous demands that God requires for our sins. He is our propitiation. He's the satisfaction God demands, and therefore we can know that our sins are forgiven. But listen to these other verses that you know quite well. In John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Another verse. Again, you know it well. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you think of anything that would separate us from the love of God? Nothing, nothing, nothing. These things have I written unto you, John says, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder if you're still saved? I hope these verses really help us to understand the guarantee of the promises that God has made to us once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, recently on the news, we heard of various insurance companies that no longer provide coverage for businesses that are in high-crime areas or fire-prone or flood-prone areas. Companies that once offered assurance could no longer provide the insurance, the insurance, the assurance, <laughs> the insurance. Their resources were inadequate and their guarantees were constrained that they could not make such promises anymore. But God's promises and God's guarantees are eternal. Faithful is he that promised who also will do it. It's God who works in you both to will and to do his good purpose. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, not because we're faithful, not because we're reliable, but he is faithful that promise. So we go to the third let us, which is let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
You know, once we understand the stability that we have in the promises of God, once we understand the freedom that that promise affords, we can begin looking beyond our own insecurities and our own fears and begin paying attention and begin becoming concerned about how other believers are doing. There are a lot of, I'll say, miserable Christians around us. They seem to be without joy. They seem to be without confidence. They are without hope, maybe even feeling the way that you once did. So what is our responsibility toward such believers? Verse 24 in chapter 10 says that we are to consider them. We are to consider them. That would be step one. Maybe it's the very step that we often overlook. We are to see them. Observe them, notice them, take an interest in them, speak to them, invite them, pray with them, offer yourself to them so that you might become one who can provoke them or stir up within them or incite them to love and to good works. The scripture says that we are to consider them. You know, on this this, uh, journey of life, we're all on the road to sanctification. Some are further along than others. How often have you seen a situation where a person who is stumbling is then assisted by a stronger person who is helping them? It's an inspiring scene when a person in need is helped by a person who is able. The same is true in our Christian walk. Some are stumbling around us. Some that we know even in this congregation Uh, just don't know the promises of God like you know the promises. Some are weighed down by burdens that are unknown to us, and they're unaware of the strength and the help that our faith affords to every believer. Let us consider one another to incite within them a new and a hopeful outlook of hope and love and good works. To the weary around us, to a brother or sister who is just tired, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. You know, the the words themselves seem to suggest struggle and just a hard time. You're heavy laden. Jesus says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. To the one who has given up and the one who has lost hope, Faithful is he who promised who also will do it. The work that God requires of us is not to be done in our own strength. The work that we do is done with the strength of the Lord and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. To those who have run out of resources and seem to be at a dead end, the promise, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. To the ones around us who are frail and weak, Remind them this, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. You know these promises. Many of you have been saved for a long time. Many of you are students of the Bible and of the word. And so you know these promises, and it might be of great help to share them. But first, you must consider them. Consider them. I don't know the formula, I don't know the recipe that will work for you in order to stir up 
a forlorn and cheerless Christian to find love and good works? On this path toward sanctification, lend a hand to those who are struggling. Consider them, pay attention to them, and pray about how you can be the human hand of God at work in their lives. So, long and short of it, I've entitled this message, Christian Exhortation. Exhortation means encouragement. Exhortation is providing a motivation to keep on going, an incentive, a stimulation, a pat on the back to someone who is struggling and is about to give up. I think there's a very urgent need for encouragement these days. There are a lot of reasons that Christians can be overwhelmed by things going on in their personal lives, in their business, in their work, uh, young people in school, uh, in the national scene, in the international scene, there are a lot of reasons that Christians might find to get discouraged. From time to time, we all need to spend time in a trip to God's garden of verses, and in particular, spend quality time in this quote, in this lettuce patch. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering because he is faithful that promised. And finally, let us consider one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's, let's be an encouragement to one another. That's the Christian life. That's, that's the story of a person who has been saved for a long time and he's much, much further along on this path to sanctification who is able to reach out and put an arm around a brother or sister and say, Come on, let me help you. Come on, let's, let's, let's be encouraged. Let's realize what God is able to do. Let's, let me tell you about the promises of God that, that he has for every one of us and be an encouragement to provoke or to incite, to stir up within them uh, hope and encouragement and, and comfort and strength. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful to you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you, Lord, just to remind us again of some of these simple truths, things that we've heard many, many times and heard from long, long ago. Lord, we, we realize that so many times we, we forget basic truths. We uh, get involved in other things. And Lord, the scripture is plain. It is true. It is strength. It is helpful. So, Lord, help us not to overlook the Word of God. We thank you for the illustrations that Dale gave us just a moment ago about, about the power of the Word of God and what it can do in our lives. So, Lord, help us to be true and faithful. Help us, Lord, to be able to see others in their need and reach out and help them in their daily struggles. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the promise, the hope, the guarantee, the assurance of eternal life. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.